Coming up, I have an emergency reaction to the Sixers-Nets game, the biggest game we've had all year. Plus, I have a lot of football. I have a lot of Hollywood. This is a great podcast. You should be paying for this. I can't believe you're getting this for free. You're so lucky. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Unlike this podcast, some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is pragmatic and responsible, level-headed, wise. All the things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be exciting. Exciting is for three-point buzzer beaters, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money. Because when your money is doing what you need it to, you can do all the unboring things you want to do with it. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group. Inc. PNC Bank National Association member FDIC. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where I hope you're checking out the Prestige TV podcast. Joe House and I, we broke down Winning Time episode one. We also did Winning Time episode two. That's going up right after it airs on HBO on Sunday night. This is a good show. I think I'm going to be doing that every week. Also on the Ringer Gambling Show, House and uh, JJ, John Jastrzemski, they're doing a lot of stuff. I might pop on those on Fridays if I have NBA stuff. We're trying to get that feed really going in time for uh, NBA playoffs. They're doing a lot of March Madness on that stuff too. I hope you're going to FanDuel Sportsbook if you're wagering on this stuff. If you're in the cities that are lucky enough to have FanDuel Sportsbook, we'll talk about FanDuel in a, in a second. I am doing on FanDuel on Wednesdays and Fridays. Wednesdays, same game parlays. Almost hit the Jokic one on Wednesday. It was like six to one. Needed the assist. None of his teammates could make a shot. On Friday, I'm doing uh, I'm doing parlays. So go to FanDuel Sportsbook on Friday. You will have a parlay, especially picked by me. I'm watching a lot of basketball right now. I'm kind of starting to get into the zone. I don't want to spoil it. But speaking of the zone, Big Waz and I are going to break down the Sixers-Nets game. And then our old friend Peter Schrager talking about the Wilson trade. More importantly, quarterback roulette. Who needs a quarterback? Who are the candidates? What are they going to do? And then last but not least, Matt Bellany is going to come on. We're going to talk Hollywood stuff. He's coming on partly because he has a new podcast that we are launching officially on Monday. It is called The Town. You can follow it now on Spotify. You can subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcast, but we, we like when you go to Spotify. But he's going to be breaking down the industry uh, at least twice a week, and you'll hear why we gave him a podcast because he's great at this stuff. So we're talking Hollywood with him. This is an awesome podcast. Can't wait to get going. First, our friends, the legends, Pearl Jam. All 
right, taping this first segment of the podcast a little before 7 o'clock Pacific time. Waz is here. Waz and Lambert. Waz, the Sixers couldn't even make it to the end of the game. We were going to wait till after the game. They couldn't even make it. There's 4.32 left. This was an iconic James Harden game. And the vibe I was getting from the stands were like deep down. They knew about the history. <laughs> they, they knew he had some stinkers in his past. They knew they weren't sure if they were going to be able to go to war with him. They knew he quit on two teams in 13 months, but they talked themselves into it. And this was the uh-oh game for the Sixers fans. We'll get to Brooklyn in a second, but the Sixers fans, this was uh-oh. Oh, no. Yeah, it's tough for James Harden to play like this. And look, we get it. It's just one regular season game. If you're a Sixers fan, you got to talk yourself into that, right? It's just one regular season game. Yes, this game had a lot of buildup and a lot of hype and anticipation and they're freaking stalking Ben Simmons outside of Starbucks. And we get it. Uh, and if you're a Sixers fan, you say it's one game. But man, was this just a stinker. And I saw somewhere on Twitter, somebody said, uh, the Sixers booed, the Sixers fans booed the Sixers more than they did Ben Simmons tonight. I think that was probably the right move, too. <laughs> Look, we've seen this from Harden in years past. You could tell immediately. I got off. I was So I had my tweet ready. I typed it near the end of the first quarter. James Harden has done jack shit so far. This really does feel like a playoff game. I'm like, it's too early. Maybe he'll rally. Like, <laughs> halfway through the second quarter. I'm like, no, not too early anymore. You know, there was a competitiveness and a, and a kind of a bully ballness to the Nets tonight. Mm -hmm. And I think they, they felt from the get go, we're going to go right in a bead. We're not going to be afraid of them. And Kyrie was in Harden's mug from the get go. And it honestly didn't seem like Harden really wanted it. It looked, it was like watching a, a boxing match where one guy really wanted to mix it up and the other guy wasn't really ready to do it. Remember that one play when he went flying into Durant and put his shoulder mm -hmm. in his chest, but, other that than that, times, yep. I felt like Kyrie was in FU mode with him and Harden just wasn't matching it. It was weird to watch. Couple of things on that. Um, we talked about this on group chat yesterday, me, Verrier, and Michael Pina. Uh, and Verrier was like, look, Kyrie before this game is saying, as downplayed, we get it to media, has to build it up to sell hype for the games. And Verrier's like, I'm confused. How, why is he saying all this? I'm like, Verrier. Yeah. This is chat. He's gonna come, He's going to play really hard this game. And that's exactly what he did. To the point, Bill, there was a point in the second quarter where James Harden kept trying to get somebody else that isn't Kyrie to guard him. He kept calling for screens of, right. of, of wings that wasn't Kyrie. Like, he's mismatch hunting guys who aren't Kyrie as if he's the second coming of Scottie Pippen. It was insane to, to watch. And Kyrie's six feet tall. We should mention <laughs> that piece. I, I think now... The Sixers fans, I'm sure, like, yeah, it's just one regular season game. It wasn't. This was not one regular season game. This was the first real bona fide playoff type game we've had. And there was really animosity on both sides that you could feel. Any questions about how did Durant feel about this trade? How did Kyrie and Harden feel about each other? It was all answered. There was even some Drummond and Bead stuff. But, you know, this Philly team, when you think of a game like this and you're like, all right, now we're, hate to use this analogy during the, with the world conflict right now, but, this is a go to war game, right? Mm -hmm. Like who, who's on my side? Who are the battle tested yeah. dudes? And you look at like Tobias Harris looked terrified the whole game. Tyrese Maxey's never played in a game like this ever. 
Tybal, who wait, you hold love. on, Bill. Uh, Sixers fans told me Tyrese Maxey is he's <laughs> the new big three. Yeah, yeah he's the new Bacuzzi big three. Reincarnated. He's one of the best point guards in the league already. But you go and then they're they're going to their bench. Dwight Howard's playing. Dwight Howard's been bouncing around. You know, like a Yankee Christmas swap gift for three years. DeAndre and Jordan. Play for DeAndre the, I'm Jordan. sorry, De, DeAndre Jordan. That's what right. Um, all of a sudden, he's out there. And you think, like, not only did the Nets um, do pretty well in that trade, but they kind of took Philly's depth. This was Joe House's point. There's you had Drummond in there. You had Seth Curry look great. Um, and Philly, like, you know, when they, if your two stars didn't really show up, one of them did, the other one didn't. And then that's when you need, like, all right, we need the bench. We're at home. Let's bring the bench in to turn this around. That didn't happen either. Mm -hmm. So I think this was an alarming game if I'm the Sixers. And I'm not an overreaction regular season guy, but this is the James Harden we've seen for 10 years. And I'll go through the playoff resume in a second. But do you think this is an overreact game or is this a, hey, settle down, it's March? No, definitely you got to have your eyebrow raised. And not look, James Harden going three for 19 or whatever the hell it is he went tonight. That's horrible. He can't, you can't have that in the playoffs. However, I don't think he'll be quite to that level of horrible in the playoffs. I think to be fair, it was, it was three for 17. Okay, to be fair, <laughs> I, I think a lot of Sixers fans felt like there was some concern trolling with skeptics of this team post Harden trade about their defense, and I think tonight is what you saw defensively. They went up against a top-flight offense um, who was, you know, very invested in getting stuff done. And there was no resistance. At no point did Brooklyn feel the 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 Sixers' defense putting pressure on them, making them feel uncomfortable. Doc kept doing this weird thing where he's chasing KD, who's seven foot one. He's sending two defenders at him at the top of the key where he could just see it coming, see directly over the defense, and he's just spoon-feeding guys, you know, three-on-two opportunities, and they're getting layups. And I'm like, that's what you need to be worried about as a Sixers supporter is that defense, man. I know Joel is all world, and he's a world beater, but against the best teams, they're going to be able to take Joel out of plays, and it's going to be on those guys on the back line to execute. And who are these pieces for them? Yeah, and you have Harden, who is a liability on defense. Like yeah, the, that's, I think that's fair to say. So it's Tobias you have, Harris. You have Duran against Tobias Harris. That's rough. Now, there's not a lot of guys who can, I would say, defend Kevin Durant. There are guys who can at least make him work. I think Tatum did a good job on Sunday. I, even though Durant ended up at 35, that was a good toe-to-toe. Um, but man, the Philly, the, from a defensive standpoint, that was kind of alarming. And then you think like Brooklyn's bench can come in and their bench is going to be, especially when they get Simmons back, if that ever happens, their bench is just going to be so much deeper. And the reason we bring this up is this could very conceivably be the 2-7 matchup. We could see that Sixers. And if I'm the Sixers, I don't want to see that. They tried to establish a beat in the first quarter. They're like, we're going to go and be a beat's going to have 70 and points today. they did today. that. They did, but it's not, not sustainable when you're just getting torched on the other end and you know, he had three fouls, but in the first half, it was rough. Plus, you have Doc Rivers as your coach. Yikes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Doc vendetta continues. I love it. Um, <laughs> what I will say, you mentioned the Sixers defense. Ty Bull is one of the best defenders in the league, especially off ball. However, the way the Nets were playing the Sixers defensively, they treated him as a non-entity. They yep. gave him Tony Allen treatment. You know, basically, we're not going to guard you. 
We're going to force your team to play four and five. And that's a problem. If Tybo can't make a couple of shots to justify his existence on offense, um, and so therefore they have to take him out, that's tough. And again, I don't want to pile on the Sixers, even though this was no, let's, fucking let's, horrible. Let's pile on them. They were and, they and, were crying and, themselves the champs for oh my a month. God. They were beating themselves in the chest for kicking the Knicks, Knicks asses, the juggernaut that is the team right. moves. They got an incredible win against those guys. And it's like, oh my God, we won the world. We won the trade championship. And so And, and then I, they and then they ducked the Miami game. <laughs> I was like, Hardy, you're gonna rest tonight against Miami. <laughs> so that was weird in retrospect, looking back. It was like why didn't he play in that game? Why did he play the night before in the easier game? For sure. And again, Tybo, he has to make shots. And look, Danny Green didn't play tonight. Not that Danny Green is, you know, Danny Green of 2014. That's where we are. They lost by 100 points. Danny Green <laughs> no, didn't play that's, tonight. That's not where they are. Come on. But Danny Green didn't play. Obviously, their offense looks a little bit different when Danny Green is out there spacing things for them. And, and again, look, I think Harden is not the isolation player that he once was. It's it's just obvious now. He's just not that right now. He's not what he was in previous years as an isolation one-on-one guy. Joel allows him to play against conventional pick-and-roll defenses because teams are scared as hell of switching small guys onto Joel. And so, again, I think their offense is going to be fine because the Harden and Joel thing works in many ways, especially if Joel mm. is making his threes. But, man, whoo! All yeah, of but that the, chest pumping, uh, y'all got to chill with that. There was a point in the first quarter, it sounds weird to say it because it was the first quarter, but there was a point when it felt like the game was starting to slip away from the Sixers. And it felt like Harden had a chance to assert himself. And he started he started to be like distributor James Harden. And then I, I think eventually he tried to get his stuff going, but it was a little too late. Um, I just... There was a point in that first quarter where you're like, Durant Kyrie brought it tonight. I got to bring it right now. This is now star against star. We got two, ten. This is mm -hmm. now two on two with mm -hmm. some role players. I got to go. And for some reason, Harden, it was like he was hitting a snooze alarm in the game. All right, yeah. uh, uh, a couple more minutes, I'll be ready. And it's like, you're down 20? Yeah. <laughs> they need you now? Get to the fucking basket? Hit some threes? I thought it was alarming. Can we do the, can we do the James Harden, just a quick no-show history? For sure. We did this Absolutely. on the Book of Basketball pod, but so <laughs> it goes back to the 2012 finals when he was awful. And it was one of the reasons they trade him. He was four and eight in Houston elimination games. The stats are pretty grisly. He was knocked out of the playoffs at home in three straight postseasons. 2015 clip series, game six, five for 20, benched during the comeback of. Yep. Josh Smith, Corey Brewer, Terrence Jones, the magical night in the Staples. No one will ever forget. 2017 Game 6, San Antonio, 2 for 11, 10 points. 2018 Golden State Warriors, up 3-2. 22 for 51 with 14 turnovers in the final two games. 6 for 25 from 3. 2019, no KD. They're home. 35 points, 11 for 25, 6 turnovers. But it was really just Curry and Clay, and they didn't take care of business in that. And then in 2020, which was the last one, um, he sucked in that game four against the Lakers. That was really the end of the series when uh, I think he was, that was another two for 11. As Zach Lowe always points out, he said three different famous two for 11s in the playoffs. So Zach's whole thing is like, is he the Carl Malone of our generation in big games? My point is I, w I wasn't surprised to see him no show tonight's game.
wise. I, I don't think if, if it's a big game and Harden doesn't play up to what we think his capabilities are, I don't see how anybody could ever be surprised at this point. And another thing, to stay on the Harden stuff, you know, Joel comes out and he's basically, I think what you were talking about is when he's manning this bench unit lineup, where it's basically Harden and a bunch of guys that, you know, bench guys. And they're just not able to generate any meaningful, like, quality offense. Yeah. Where back in the days, like, especially, like, right after Houston had shipped out Dwight Howard, where it's just James Harden and guys, and he willed them to, like, 47 wins. He is not that dude no more. And it's to the point where I think, Bill, you might literally have to mirror his minutes with Joel. Because mm. if he's not going to be able to kill people one-on-one, and he's that huge of a liability on defense, I think you're going to have to marry his minutes to Joel because that's when he's at his most devastating at this point mm. is when he's paired with Embiid because he's not this killer anymore. Well, we'll find out about his red calf injury that they showed him <laughs> on the sidelines. Him rubbing his thing. All right, so a couple... Also, he was doing the thing where he was bitching for calls and... When James it was Harden a, complains about a ticky-tack call, I'm yeah. just like, Lord, have mercy. Come on, James Harden. We can't do this with you. I Here's what I learned tonight was, Kyle, turn the camera. I actually dislike the Sixers more than the Nets because of Harden, because he forced his way out of two teams in 12 months. As I'm watching this, I'm thinking, I should dislike the Nets more. Kyrie... Terrible ending in Boston. It's always fun to root against mm -hmm. him. He's probably our number one Boston villain now. Um, ben Simmons quits on the Sixers, refuses to play. Now there's rumors he might be trying to get his money back, even though he wouldn't play for them. And it's like, I, I kind of want to root against this team. But then the game started, and I found myself just gravitating to Nash <laughs> and Durant. And even Kyrie, <laughs> who's fucking awesome sometimes. It's really yeah. fun to watch him. And as weird as he is, he's one of the weirdest NBA players we've had. I think in my lifetime, he's, he's on certain nights, man. When you know he has it, it's really fun to watch him. And I found myself kind of rooting for Brooklyn, an, ex, an emotion I did not expect. Where, where was your heart leading to you as, leading to as this first quarter unfolded? Well, you know, I'm, you know, I was out for the past two weeks. I, I can't say I was paying much attention to the NBA. I wasn't really online that much. But, you know, I, the second I, I go on to my, <laughs> my Twitter, it's like old takes exposed. But, and I didn't even listen to what I said. It was something that I said on this podcast. And, you know, Sixers fans are going nuts, right? Like, they, they're in their winning streak. They're beating up on, you know, Emmanuel quickly and the mighty New York Knicks. They're really smelling themselves. So I'm just like, okay, I see what this is now. I have to root for you people to be hurt. I, I have to root for you people to get crushed. I have to root for you people to have sleepless nights, pits in your stomach. You know, you know when your team loses and you can't even eat the next day? That's yeah. what I have to root for for Sixers fans now. When ordinarily I would just be like, whatever it is, what it is. Um, right. I'm definitely invested in seeing the Sixers go down in flames at this point. Absolutely. And yes, the Harden thing I didn't like at all. Uh, it rubbed me the wrong way. But like you said, so did the Simmons thing. Kyrie's whole, you know, third eye, um, Illuminati's trying to yes. get us with the vaccine. That makes me sick. But yeah, deep down inside, I have to root against the Sixers fan base. Yeah, and we're, and we're, we're this is all in good fun. We're not like... Of course. It, we just... Look, we watch games. We're rooting for somebody. Sometimes we're rooting for nobody. But 
I was surprised. And really it's because Durant is such a special player. I mean, yeah. he's one of the 10 best ever. He showed again tonight that if it's a, if it's a really big game, a really big one, especially in an atmosphere like that, how many guys do you actually want in your side right. in a game like that? The crowd's going nuts. They're chanting, fuck Ben Simmons. And Durant's like icy killer the whole time, which by the way, he wasn't always like that. Like there was moments in sure. OKC when I, I do think he grew into that maybe because of what happened in 2016. All right. A couple other, uh, a couple other notes I had. Um, did Durant reclaim the best player alive case? I mean, Jokic is basically averaging 35 and 16. Just, it seems like every <laughs> night now, I don't even know who the best player is, but I, to me, Durant just kind of raised his hand and reminded everyone like, Hey, when we're talking Jokic and Embiid and Luca, and you guys are doing this round Robin who just, just, can you just, I'm right here. Giannis just, I'm over here. Yeah. When KD's right, you know, give me the seven foot guy with the devastating crossover, the pull up jumper, the dead eye three point shot, um, the great help defense when he's up for it. Right. Like mm. manning the back line on the help side. He's incredible at that when he's up for it, when he's right. Uh, so, yeah, give me KD in in all of those situations he was just you know you could tell again in the first quarter these are one-on-one -on -one superstar shots that he's making yeah right that is just like i'm just gonna destroy whoever's in front of me this is what is you know this is what is needed of me from my team well and go in and beat and go in and beat that time he threw that in which i would have bet he was gonna do at some point but yeah he's trying to be the emotional fulcrum as opposed to james who looked like he was wearing a james mask I don't think the expression on his face even changed for four quarters. He looked like they had the James Harden beard on. Um, Kyrie, look, who knows? Who knows if he's going to be yeah. allowed to play in the home games? Oh, man. Who knows if the if Brooklyn's going to be in a situation where it's better? they're better off having the 7-8 on the road so he can play? My guess is all this stuff will get figured out. But when I noticed this on Sunday with the KD... Curry and Kyrie all out there at the same time. And Curry's kind of an afterthought in the corner with where the defense is shifting away from him and he's just got open threes or he can... Curry's a really good offensive player. And that was my fear with this Philly trade in the get in the beginning was like, he just... I know that he played well with Embiid, you know? And they had to give that up for the trade. But now he's like this just embarrassment of riches in their offense. And he's just kind of over on the side putting up 22. You know? Yeah, and what's cool is that he's another ball mover. And what you mentioned Kyrie. Early on in his career, he was that pound the air out of the ball kind of guy. And he gets yep. to it sometimes when he feels a matchup that he needs. But for the most part on his team, man, he's whipping the ball around. They're finding the open man, doing, um, sending the extra pass. And it's really cool to see. And again, <laughs> he's getting up in James Harden's grill yeah. defensively. He's taking the matchup personally. And when Kyrie's at his best, when he is moving the ball, when he's attacking the proper matchups, when he is just, you know, putting relentless pressure on the rim and he's guarding his guy in a way that's competent and not just a complete sieve and a turnstile to the basket. Extremely fun to watch outside of all of the sage burning and all the extracurriculars. Really talented guy. Really strange guy. <laughs> in the running for strangest professional athlete the last five years, but. Uh, incredibly talented. So I want to mention the, uh, the fuck Ben Simmons chance. <laughs> they, 
they hurt a little bit since my name, son's name is Ben Simmons. And then I talked myself into it. But this is great. They're chanting, fuck my kid's name. Um, Simmons was this weird, I don't even, like subplot. I didn't, he was wearing some, what was that sweatshirt he was wearing? I, I don't know whether he was trying to launch a clothing line tonight. I don't know why he was there. <laughs> I literally have no idea why he was there other than if it's To if antagonize. It's That's it. This is it. They These two teams don't like each other. Obviously, there's, you know, bad feelings between guys like James and Kyrie. Yeah. Clearly, it's on, it's on record how Joel feels about Ben Simmons, right? So there's bad blood. Um, from multiple guys on each team. And so he's there to antagonize, which finally, Ben Simmons, like, do something that we could get some respect. Like, if yeah. people showed up to the game and be like, oh, I can't be there. I don't want to face these fans, all of that. You know, it was cool. It was a good first step for Ben Simmons in, like, all right, man, let me get back to being a regular hooper and not some sideshow. I'm... I would be interested to see if he could have played in a game like the one tonight with how intense it got when you're basically afraid to get fouled. And I think if he was out there, the smart move, I don't know if Philly would have done it, but you just go hack a Ben immediately. Got shot 34% from the free throw line in the playoffs last year. Let's put him on the line. Let's try to get in his head. Let's do it right away. Let's see. But he, what, from what we saw tonight, he might play, he might play 18 to 20 minutes a game for them in the playoffs. You know, it's almost like anything he gives them is a bonus because they have enough. And also, like, we didn't mention the Drummond trade. Man, if I'm Philly, I'm I'm kind of fighting giving up Drummond in that because you see, like, the drop-off to Dwight Howard. Like, Drummond, even though Embiid was putting up stats, Drummond's at least, like, can get rebounds and put up stats, basically. You know, and it was, it was the kind of big body that the Nets didn't have before. So, you know, yeah, I think it was smart I, for the I, Nets I to get him. I don't know that DeAndre Jordan is the long-term answer there at back of five. In fact, yes, I do. He's not the answer. He's, <laughs> he's not, not, not short-term, term, short medium-term. Term. I don't even know why I said long-term. He's just not the answer. He's not um, any term. He's not any answer to your backup center position. But to get back to Ben Simmons, I think, man, watching this game and seeing some of the things that James Johnson and Claxton were able to do where they're catching the ball in space. And mm. they don't possess the ball handling and theoretical finishing ability. And also, like, Ben Simmons legitimately is just a much better passer with the ball in his hand. Like, Simmons catching the ball in space because defenses are so worried about what Kevin Durant does on the ball. Like, some of those, you know, catch the ball after Kevin... Like, they sent two while Kevin Durant's dribbling at the top of the key, and he dumps it over the top to Claxton, and he makes a smart decision and finishes over Harden two times. If that's Ben Simmons that's catching that, you know, on a three-on-two going downhill, that's when he's at his best. And I think some of the stuff you've seen James Johnson do, you know, basically with the dribble handoff type of stuff, I, I think Simmons, man, can slot in really nicely, but he has to be playing next to Kyrie and KD because they're going to be able to create the gravity and the pressure on the defense that allow him to do things that he's capable of, that he has the skills to and not like, we're not going to ask you to get the ball at the top of the key and break yeah. a dude down and actually score. Yeah, and that, the Nets were feisty on defense today. Last last thing for me uh, just on this game was, was that, do you think, Steve Nash's 
first happy moment in like what 10 months <laughs> since like the Celtics Nets playoff series. Like I was wondering, I was thinking about him today because they showed him a couple of times. So there's a couple of times over the last few months when they would show him on the sidelines and he kind of looked like Obama near the end of the second term where all of a sudden it's like, oh, Obama's hair went white. I didn't realize like, (laughs) oh, Obama's got two teenage daughters and he just ran the country for eight years and he just, you could see it on his face. Um, Nash was looking like that. But today the Nash was more hopeful Nash. It was a light at the end of the tunnel, Nash. It was the, oh, I still have Durant. Kyrie's probably going to be able to play every game. This weird Harden situation where he shows up out of shape and he's pretty miserable the last two months he's here. That's out. I have Simmons as like a fun wild card. I have a bench. I have shooting. It doesn't really matter if Joe Harris comes back or not now because at least we have, we've replaced the shooting with Curry. I don't know. And that, and then as an eight seed, which I think they have to be the most dangerous eight seed we've had. People would say the 1999 Knicks, but come on. <laughs> come on. This team's a little more dangerous at full strength than that team was. But uh, yeah, I think he's no. got to be feeling good. And and the and the cool thing, too, is that when he got the job, I remember when he got the job, there was so much carping about it and bitching and moaning and did Steve yeah. Nash skip the line and blah, blah, blah. And why are they advocating for Nash to get it? And the idea was that he was just going to come in and try to be a people manager. You know, in his time in the league, he was known as one of the most emotionally intelligent guys in all of basketball. And this was going to be a team with some mercurial personality types. And it was going to be his job to manage that. And guess what? The job has been anything but that. He's had to actually coach. They said the Nets have started 37 different lineups this year. This is legitimate hardships on a coach, right? And so finally... He's starting to get his guys back. KD's been injured. Uh, of course, the Kyrie stuff. Harden got injured. This, All of the stuff that's happened with this team, he hasn't had just a normal few weeks with this team since he got the job. And um, I think this stretch run is probably going to be the most normal it's been for Steve Nash since he started over there. Except for they probably have a couple home games in a row coming up that Kyrie won't be able to play. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, I had my team. What happened? Uh, before we go, let's, uh, I have a lot of Sixers fans in my life. Mm. I know you do as well. Yes, of course. Mike Tolan, Jeff Chow, Chris Ryan, Zach Barron. I, I could, I could keep going. I know a lot of Philly people. What should we tell them? Let's, let's say we're trying to make them feel better after tonight. Let's say our hearts are in this for two minutes. We, that we didn't just completely enjoy watching hard and stink it up after quitting on two different teams. How do we, how do we spin tonight? Is it just, Hey man, regular season, anything can happen. It's one game. You'll be back. What, what, what are the, what are the bright spots? I think one Joel who's played at a top three level. Oh, this season, that's good. I like that. Yeah. He's Joel, going to play Joel look great. He's going to play 42, 43 minutes a game in the playoffs. So, like, the DeAndre thing, as nasty as it is, it's going to be muted in the playoffs because coaches play their best players the most minutes. When Harden and Joel are on the floor together, the offense looks deadly, lethal, unstoppable, all of those things. And, you know, again, Joel, one of the two or three best defensive players in all of basketball, and you pray that he can anchor things in such a way that he's, you know, keeping this, the defense together with duct tape and the offense is so elite that it carries the day. That's that's your best hope. So 
Joel, 15 and 19 from the free throw line, man. They couldn't keep him off the line. That's probably where I'm done talking about Joel. He's minus 30 tonight, <laughs> five for 17. Um, more, more silver linings for Sixers fans. You know, Maxie, not good tonight, but, you know, really important. He got his feet wet in a game like that. It's going to really help him going forward. <laughs> um, Tobias Harrison. But Tobias Harris, he seemed healthy. <laughs> you don't seem convinced, Bill. I, I feel like you don't you don't seem convinced. I'm just I'm looking for silver linings. Well, well, I um, want to ask you though, because there are silver linings, but I do want to ask you because the Celtics have looked like world beaters. What? Recently. I didn't realize. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> the Celtics have looked like world beaters recently, and you gotta be yeah. looking at a team like the Sixers, like, come on, we could take these guys. Yeah, I felt that way already. Mm. Just because I, I think the Celtics have more depth and, you know, the problem with the Celtics is I don't want to be peaking right now in mid-March. Mm, gotcha. I want this to be sustainable. But the good thing with the Celtics is they're beating the shit out of teams. Like, they, yeah. I think when the double-digit wins start piling up, you got to start taking whatever seriously. And Tatum, you know, has gone to a level. At least with Tatum now, they know they have a guy who, whether it's, Giannis or whether it's Durant and beat whoever. They at least have somebody who can match baskets with that guy in a big game. I don't know if you watched the Charlotte game the other night. but Oh, I sure that, did. They blew that thing open in the third. Tatum made a couple of threes and all of that. But what I watched was that for like five or six straight possessions, Charlotte, the ball, the ball didn't go past 15 feet. Which they didn't get the ball past the free throw line because the Celtics are switching everything, keeping everything yep. in front, and they just could get no dribble penetration against them for six, seven possessions in a row. And I'm like, damn, the Celtics defense is legit, and they are just mauling guys. And this is going to be scary when the playoffs come. Yeah, the East is the most fascinating, I think, it's been. I can't even remember the last time. I, I don't even... I don't even think you can say this century it's been this fascinating. I think you have to go back you to mean, the 90s. You mean the East when the Hawks sent four All-Stars? Yeah, the whole thing. The, what about the, when Antoine oh. Walker was in two straight conference finals or whatever that was? You go on through like those Pistons, Nets, yeah. Pacers years. And then nah, there was a couple. Compelling. It seemed like there was a potential Miami-Detroit thing, but that never really got going in the right mm -hmm. way. And the KG Celtics. Never really got going. Then it seemed like, oh, Celtics heat. This will be great. Rondo got hurt in 11. Um, but now there's just so many variables. But again, especially even the then, matchups. Bill, it was three teams. It was the Celtics, the Heat, and the Bulls, right? When right. D. Rose was healthy. Like, now it feels like we have five. Five. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe so, even six. This is just way more compelling and intriguing than I can remember in the Eastern Conference. Who would you go with right now? If you had to pick a team. I, I'm still Milwaukee. It's just hard for me to pick against Giannis. I just think if all three of their big guys, their important guys are right, I like yeah. what they're doing in the crunch time now. They cleaned up so many of the nasty stuff they used to do in crunch time. They're actually running stuff, multiple options off of it. They know who they want to get it to in what yep. spots. Um, Bud has improved as a coach. Like, we don't talk about that enough that, like, coaches can't get better. And Bud has improved as a coach. I know their depth is is something scary and to, to be watched. I just, man, it's, it's hard for me to pick against Giannis. I just can't. They've been my pick forever. Two Sundays ago, I 
I just took them off. I'm like, now I don't have a pick. I don't trust this Bucks team. Now they've won six straight. The Celts are two back. I think the Celts have to get, I think, to the three spot. And the the key one is getting that play the three six, which will probably be Cleveland. Cleveland's the team you want to play in the East. All 100%. due respect to Cleveland. 100%. They have it. They've had bad injury luck all year. They have a bunch and of guys, guys have been are there. Young, young yeah. guys. Mobley, rookie wall, the whole thing. So you kind of want to be three. So the Celts right now, it's crazy. They're they have the same amount of wins as Philly, but two more losses. But it's possible they could flip spots with Philly. Um, all right, we're gonna go. Sorry, uh, sorry, Sixers fans. We tried our best to do some silver linings. Was great to have you back. Thank hope you. All, hope all is good with you and the fam. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And I do want to say this. Bill did not call me after the results of the game happened. He said, there's a big Sixers and Nets game. Come on the show. Want to bring you back, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, of course, let's do it. And then, of course, the desired outcome happens. No, we, and we get to have a victory lap. But the thing is, <laughs> they, by the way, this would have been fun if the Sixers beat the hell out of the Nets, too. Because right, then right. we would have been like, holy shit, what do we make of the Nets? Like, that was the great thing about tonight. Whatever the outcome was... There's going to be something fun to talk about. And, and what I'm rooting for is great basketball in the playoffs. I hope everybody plays to their capabilities the best. And we just see one of the best playoffs that we had in a while. And James Harden not quitting on the Sixers, at least until next year. Uh, wow, it's good to see you. Later, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day of work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all new Cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high quality ingredients like seasoned slow roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina chicken tacos, burrito, and quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina chicken menu at Taco Bell now. All right, our friend Peter Schrager is here. We've had a lot of football stuff happen since the last time he was on. The last million-dollar picks, which we won. We finished winning season. Another winning season for us. Um, Russell Wilson got traded. I don't know if you heard. He got traded at Denver. Um, when did you start really hearing the rumblings? Because it felt like the a week leading up to that trade, the rumblings started. And there were a lot of teams calling, and they, usually stuff starts to get up. Yeah, well, the big trade offer from Washington came out at the Combine. But the truth of the matter is Senior Bowl week, which is a week before even the Super Bowl, is when GM George Payton started laying things out with John Schneider, the Seahawks general manager. Now, they worked in silence, which I respect. Uh, but by the time we got to Combine, it did seem like the writing was on the wall that Russell Wilson was going to be traded this offseason. That it would happen in the way that it did minutes after Rodgers came out. It, it Was it coincidence or was it one of those deals where they were waiting on Rodgers before they went to option B? The Broncos guys swear it wasn't that this oh, was... Oh, come on. Just This stop. was option A. Well, here's Just the stop. deal. Here's how, here's how I have it. And Of course they're going to gonna say that now. They're like, oh, no, we want to Wilson all that. Just stop. Nobody I had a, I had a lunch with Hackett during the combine, and he's the new head coach of the Broncos, and he's one of Rodgers' closest friends. Now, they were together for two seasons in Green Bay, and in that room, it's him, and it's now offensive coordinator of the, of the Bears, Luke Getze. He was the quarterback's coach. Rodgers and and Love and and Benkert the uh, the whole quarterback room and they're really tight and I figured on the back end tampering or not Hackett was sending him text messages was calling yeah. saying hey like dude look, look, look Hackett swears and you could take it on whatever it's like if you know Rodgers 
which I do, he says, you don't fuck with him. Like he went on a 12 day cleanse of like no social media and, and, and no communication on his phone. And then he took three weeks and he's like, if anything, Rogers, you start trying to like curry to his favor, that would piss him off. And it'd be like, dude, you know, I need my space. I'm going to figure it out. So the love for Rogers from the Broncos was felt, but they also knew they couldn't bank on that. So they were working on this entire secondary plan to get Russell Wilson. And I'll tell you, they made the trade. Wait, wait hold on. You know what was great about that story? It was yet another stealth Aaron Rodgers is a weirdo story. Well, I have I nobody in my life who's like, don't, don't talk to me for three weeks. You've got to let him, you've got to let him unwind. Like, what, what is he, a cat? Well, I know that he had the wedding on a uh, Sunday night. And this is actually like, I, when we write the book of all our NFL stories, like the wedding of Bakhtiari on Sunday night where mm. Aaron Rodgers is officiating and they didn't want anyone to know the wedding was on Sunday night. Mike Silver tweets out that the wedding is Sunday night. Bakhtiari on his wedding day is tweeting back like, Mike, what are you doing? Like, that's what they're worried about. And they get to it and like LaFleur's there. And LaFleur's in a, a little bit louder now, a little bit right. like they're all in the pot in the pit and everything's happy. And then afterwards, I text LaFleur. I'm like, so is he coming back? And LaFleur's like, I'm not speaking on it because I don't know. And I'm like, gosh, even after the whole wedding of everyone hanging out, like, but yeah. he is back. And I'll tell you, he's like LaFleur, an actor. Don't make eye contact with him on the set. <laughs> don't look at him. Um, the other part is the money part, right? So, yeah. So the deal comes out and NFL Network's Ian Rappaport has the numbers and it's $200 million, 53 a year, four years. And everyone's reacting. Rogers hasn't tweeted since June 7th, I think. And he tweets, you know, right after that, like, I haven't signed a contract. Those numbers are not right. Like, so I think perception matters to him too. Like he didn't want to look like a, a, a greedy, I it was about the money. He wants to look as if, hey, I actually didn't take the most money that was offered because I want to get Devontae taken care of. I want it's all it's all intertwined to to this all right, is the so guy. If it wasn't about the money, what was it about? Was it about just some sort of weird psychotic power play? What was it? He was mad they took Jordan Love and he tortured everyone for two years. Then they paid him a lot of money and now now he's happy, but it's not about the money. What was it about then? It was about know. respect. Well, they respected him. They were already, he was already one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. He won the MVP two years in a row. What and they went about? out and, and they proactively hired Tom Clements, who's a 68-year-old quarterback coach who he had years ago and had been retired last year. And How about like, Randall Cobb? They dragged him out from wherever he was. Uh, I think it's also like, you know, and, and the, 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 the counter to it is, okay, well, if that's not the money and you're upset that the wrong numbers were, were released... What are the numbers? Was it, was it higher or lower? What yeah. are the numbers? Do you? I like to, we need a club of the pandemic made me weird. That We need that club. And I'd like to induct Aaron Rodgers, who might've already been weird, but the pandemic made him super weird. So back to Denver though. So there's two camps. One is they, they bought too high on Wilson. He's not the same guy anymore. Then there's the other camp building, which is, Wilson was kind of checked out. He didn't want to get hurt last year. He's saving his body. He's going to be running around like he did in the old days in Denver. He's got something to prove. He wants to make the Pro Bowl, make the Super Bowl. He's going to shove it in Seattle's face. What camp are you in? You can't I'm in be the latter. I'm in You're the in the latter. You're in the FU camp. I think he comes out and it's it's awesome. I honestly do. I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's been... 10, it was 10 years to the day since Peyton Manning's free agent visit 
to Denver when they traded for Russell Wilson. And from everyone I talked to in Denver, it's like he got that trade. And like, there's finally like a cloud lifted off the building that's been there for a decade. We've got our quarterback. And when Peyton got there, it wasn't just Peyton Manning. He brought Wes Welker with him when the Patriots and him had an issue with the numbers. And it was like, all right, why don't you join me? And then the next year, it was DeMarcus Ware and it was Aqib Tlaib. And uh, they kept on adding players and Emmanuel Sanders. I, I think after seeing what the Rams did with Stafford, which the same commentary was, they gave up too much. How are you going to trade all your first round picks for Stafford who's never won anything? I think the the deal is now like a team like Denver, which is in a football town, to get a quarterback was the most important thing this offseason. Not only did they get a quarterback, they get a new a new head coach, they get a new offense, they get some life into this building. So how about an offense? Remember last year where we picked the Broncos one of those weeks and they ran like 38 plays? That was brutal. And and Fangio was punting on fourth and two and punting yeah, on third and that yeah. was brutal. I think it's it's a whole fresh new perspective um to football and even before they got Russell Wilson, like the Broncos already sold out all their season tickets. And I'll add in nothing with Denver. Like they're going to be for sale in a couple months. Five so, billion. I'm so sad. You, I have five billion five? on FanDuel. Yeah. You think five, five billion. Over under five billion. Yeah. The, the, the word I heard at the combine was like four, five, four, six, but five. Well, you always got to bump whatever the word is. Bump it 10%. And think about it. Two it's, rich guys get involved. That's it. It becomes dick swinging contest. And if it's four or five with, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, right. maybe it becomes a $500 million, you know, or five, whatever it is when you start throwing in a Russell Wilson as your quarterback. So I think they went all in, they knew the score and they'll deal with the, not having a couple, a ninth overall pick, whoever that guy goes on to be like, they'll, they won't regret it. Well, you and I like Denver's talent last year. I love Javante, Javante Williams. So I had on every fantasy team, I'm still recovering from, I don't understand how he didn't have like 2000 all purpose yards. They're, you know, played Melvin Gordon more and stuff like that. We like their receivers. Poor Judy, where it's like we have no idea how good he is because of the quarterbacks he had the last couple of years. I don't feel like they gave up too much, but I also like the trade for Seattle because I think they were just at a dead end. That's and it. It was gotta, end of the road. Got to reboot it. The, it. the problem is, and you were just at, uh, you were in Indy. I was jealous because I loved my week in Indy for the Super Bowl 10 years ago. Um, the problem now is you start talking yourself into one of the QBs at number nine when like, you know, Danny Kelly who does a great job for us as a ringer draft guide. His top three quarterbacks were like 22, 23, 31 in the draft. But this is what happens in the NFL draft where especially when you don't have the awesome QB class, you start talking yourself into and then all of a sudden you have EJ Manuel, you know, going 16th. And my fear if I'm a Seattle fan is we traded Wilson, we got this stuff. Somehow we didn't get Patrick Sertan. But now we use that ninth pick for a QB that's 10, 12 spots too high, maybe. 50-50 shot is good. Maybe it's 40-60. And if that QB doesn't pan out with the pressure on, now the trade's a disaster. But what did you hear in the combine between the uh, the two quarterbacks? Yeah, well, the the... Well, first off, with Seattle, the other issue is you have a 70-year-old head coach. Is he looking to do a whole rebuild with a rookie quarterback right now? So you start mm. wondering, is that is that what it is? Because I don't think Pete's going anywhere. So that's when you start thinking a veteran quarterback makes more sense. And who's that veteran? Is it Drew Locke? Save, save that Smith? for the next segment. Yeah, we, we have a whole... We're going to go through that. Um, Malik Willis threw the ball really well. The kid out of Liberty. And yeah. everyone did flips about a long throw. And I'm always here to kind of temper things down that everyone I speak to says, yes, he's got a huge arm and he was more accurate than we expected. Um, 
but I don't know if he's a top 10 pick yet. Kenny Pickett, people want to roll their eyes about the hand size thing. He had eight and eight and a half inch hands, and we laugh, oh, hand size, what's that really mean? You know, whatever. Guess what? He would be the quarterback with the smallest hands in the league the second he steps on the field. No quarterback in the league has small hands. Not even Goff. Not even Goff. So it does matter. And you go to his numbers at Pitt and he had 38 fumbles and maybe that's because his hands aren't as big as other quarterbacks. You know, um, the guy that actually impressed a lot and he didn't become a top 10 pick is the quarterback at a Cincinnati, Ritter, Desmond mm. Ritter, who has 44 career college wins, third most all time. Oh, sounds who, like my kind of guy already. Right. Let me talk him into you. Who also ran a, a sub 540, who also showed improvement in his technique from when he played at Cincinnati to the combine, which means he's already been working with a quarterback trainer. And I'll give you this, the one that will get you through the, you know, jumping out of your seat and making this guy your guy. You know, I'm friendly with a lot of the Jets coaches. They had him at the senior bowl. Mm. And the story I got and whether it could be elaborated or not, the story we got is that in the senior bowl, they're losing and it's like, all right, final drive of the game, the senior bowl exhibition game on a Saturday. And Desmond Ritter looks at the coaching staff and says, I got this, guys, and takes him right down the field and scores. And all the oh Jets guys are God. like, I love that guy. <laughs> Holy shit. But yeah, well, Desmond Danny, Ritter. Danny has him 33rd. His comp was shades of Daniel Jones, but in a good way. I like that, Danny. So that means basically Daniel Jones, if Daniel Jones just didn't put the ball on the ground every two and a half quarters or throw it to the other team, I guess that would be Daniel Jones in a good way. He's not Dak, but I'll go back to what we said about Dak. And I was one of them because Paxton Lynch was taken before Dak and Connor Cook was taken before Dak. And I remember the thing with Dak is we all watched him on Saturdays and he would win. But it was like his body isn't great. His throwing motion's a little weird. And yet he just happened to win a bunch of games in the SEC. Like we do this in the draft and we, we, yeah. we look at Trubisky and you say, oh, my gosh, look at Trubisky's numbers, you know, of the 40 and what he could throw. And. Trubisky had 17 starts. Deshaun Watson just beat Alabama. You know, like we do this. So Desmond Ritter taking Cincinnati from a no-name, nothing team to, you know, the college football playoff and winning 44 games and being a three-year captain. There's something to be said for that. Three-year captain. Three-year captain. I like winning. I like calm demeanors. And I like when the other guys on the team talk about what a great guy he is. Married so, high school. I, I, I wouldn't even look at the combine stuff. I'd be like, do you at least have these three things? Now I'm going to look at you. Married his high school sweetheart. They have a kid, like an adult. I don't know. Desmond Ritter. Yeah, I don't know about getting married too early. That might, no. be, a, <laughs> might be a check mark against him. <laughs> Your red flag. <laughs> uh, hey, we're going to go through all the different, the quarterback situations. Uh, like just like who actually needs one. And it's interesting because on the one hand, like the we have the Wentz, well, we'll talk about the Wentz trade and then we'll take a break and we'll talk about all the people available. But the Wentz trade to me was flabbergasting because A, on I what just don't side? Th- I don't think he's a winning quarterback. Like if I'm India, I would just rather, if I can get rid of him and get off his salary, I'm just doing that. If I'm Washington, I'm taking on this giant salary number and I'm giving up draft picks. Why am I giving up anything? Indy should have been giving Washington draft picks in basketball. There's no, like, if that was an NBA trade, there's no way the team trading Wentz would have gotten draft picks because they would have been so fired up to get cap space. They would have, they would have given up draft picks to get the cap space. And then you have dumbass Washington who says, no, here's some third round picks. 
we'd love to roll the dice with 29-year-old Carson Wentz, who is who he is in every sense of the word. I thought that trade was appalling. Um, it would have been the worst thing of the offseason if you're a Washington fan, except for the fact that everybody's going to call them the commies, which I think is like the, the craziest name. I just don't understand. And now we're in a conflict with Russia. And they're the Washington commies. Anyway, why was Wentz worth anything? All right. Let us let me empty the bag on the Wentz stuff because um, I was at the Combine last week and the word I got was that like, there is no chance Carson Wentz is taking a snap for the Indianapolis Colts next year. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's no, no. The owner will not allow that. Like, that's how mm. bad that season ended for Indianapolis uh, with the loss to Jacksonville. Like, that Ursay was basically like, this guy can't be the quarterback. I don't care. I, I don't care who's the quarterback. This guy can't be. That's um, how we felt with million-dollar picks, too, after the Jacksonville game. We, we lost. The, Ursay's we like, I'm out. You and I are like, we're out. Everyone's out. We also had them in week 17 against the Raiders at home, where that was yeah. an inexplicable loss also, but whatever. Um the Philly guys, when when they were traded Wentz and and they got the first round pick, a lot of people thought like, how could you only you know, get one first round pick? But they were thrilled, like they knew. So then you start saying, all right, what's going to be? And then you look at what Washington has going on, and since Rivera's gotten there, right? Like Alex Smith, Heineke, you know, this rotating door of you know, Fitzpatrick, but he's he can't play because he's hurt. You know, whatever it is. They looked at it and said, if you look at the numbers and you look at the evaluations, we'd rather risk on a guy who might have some issues upstairs, who's 29 years old and will be making less than $30 million than going through with a bunch of this third tier stuff. Because at one point, Carson Wentz was drafted second overall and he hasn't gotten smaller and his arm hasn't gotten worse. So you take another whack at it. You say, let us get our hands on it. Now, taking on the full salary, that one hurts. I don't know what the deal was with that, but they'd rather do that than completely miss, swing and miss, and then, hey, we're coaching with another quarterback who we know we can't win a Super Bowl with. Our guy Coward thought it was great. I know. He's, he all of a sudden became I like I think Wentz. Coward, like, can, can, uh, can we drug test Coward? What's going on with him? He's like, he's better than Jimmy G. It's like, what? I was who shocked. Co Wentz Colin in a playoff was, game ever. Colin all of a sudden went all in on Wentz in the last 24 hours, and I almost commended it. That's I think the hottest take. I think, I think his, his account's been hacked. I just thought <laughs> there were so thing, many though, better one options. One last thing for you, because Indianapolis, they make that trade for Wentz, and now they're without Wentz, and now they're searching desperately for a quarterback, and everyone says it's going to be Jimmy G, but just hold on. Um, this will be their fifth quarterback in five years since Andrew Luck left, and I know on very good sources that Matthew Stafford was willing to go to Indy. That was one of the teams that he told Detroit. Yeah, uh, I'll go to Indy. And Indy did not offer the same stuff that the Rams did. And obviously by the time Stafford and McVay have their love affair in Cabo, it was a done deal. But like Indy was an option. And Stafford said, 100%, I'll go to Indy. And Indianapolis kind of sat back there and were like, well, let's see, you know, what are we going to, and you almost, it's one of those fork in the road moments where if Indy just was proactive and said, no, we love Matthew Stafford, let's go get him. Would they be the team with Stafford and Jonathan Taylor and DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard? And now all of a sudden they're the major players right now, as we wake up this morning, they don't have a quarterback. You know who it should be. If this was wrestling, you know, what would happen. Who walks in that room? Andrew Luck. It's like, oh my God, it's Andrew Luck's music. My God. He's back. He's back. But what's he been gone four years? Yeah. It was 2017 he walked Somebody's away. Body's got to be feeling pretty good. 18. Maybe. Can, I, would you would you him. call them? If you're if you're if you're the Colts, you at least like 
He's like FaceTime him, right? See what he's doing. He's probably in the mountains somewhere hiking something. It's actually crazy. I, I had a friend, um, I forget who it was at the combine who said that they saw Andrew Luck at Starbucks and not as like taking a meeting with like yeah. a team. Like he lives in Indianapolis and was just at Starbucks as a guy. And they're like, he's like, Andrew, what's up? And he's like, what's up, man? And it's like, <laughs> what is that Starbucks? I mean, he retired because his body was so banged up because they would never get him a fucking offensive line. Now they have the offensive line. They have the running game. I don't know. I would have called them. We're going to take a break and then we're going to play quarterback roulette. All right, quarterback roulette. Here's who I have for openings. We have 25 teams that have a quarterback. A couple teams that might be looking around, but 25 teams that on paper have a quarterback, seven that do not. Pittsburgh, Houston, Indy, New Orleans, Carolina, Tampa, and Seattle. First question on Houston, Watson, I know we're going to find out more info tomorrow. I'm going to talk about Watson. Might as well talk about like the Ukrainian conflict. I have no idea what's going to happen. Houston, is Davis Mills possibly their guy? Do they possibly. just look at it and go, yeah, Davis Mills, we're good? Possibly, unless, unless Nick Casario, who was part of the group that drafted and brought in Jimmy G, blows the Niners away, and maybe that's the place for Jimmy G. But I would think Davis Mills showed himself really well. You look at all the numbers from all those first-round picks. Um, short of Mac Jones, he had as good a numbers as anybody. And I think he really showed that he can be a, qu a quarterback in this league for now. That makes no sense for Jimmy G. If Jimmy G Jimmy needs G. to go to a team that is one competent quarterback away from potentially being in the yeah. final four. So if you're Jimmy G, let's say Pittsburgh and Indy are on the table. This is Steve Cerruti question. Where would you go? Where would you want to go if you're Jimmy G? They go to you and they say, hey, we could get a second round pick from Pittsburgh. We get a second round pick from Indy. How about you pick? You've been a good soldier this whole time. That's a great we choice. inexplicably traded three first round picks for Trey Lance. Um, what does Saruti say? I'm curious what you guys say. Then I'll weigh in. Saruti, where would you go, Saruti? Got to go to Indy. Got to go to Indy. A weaker division, right? Yeah, I don't have to deal with Joe Burrow. I don't have to deal with Lamar Jackson coming back. I don't have to deal with the Browns. Good defense. Definitely Indy. I also have Indy. Um, I think they're closer to winning this Super Bowl. I think their quarterback single-handedly prevented them from winning this Super Bowl and some wide receiver injuries too. But um, I think that's the team that has to look at themselves and go, if our quarterback was better, we actually would have done some damage last season. The thing with Jimmy's contract is he's basically on a one-year deal. So yep. he's going to hit free agency uh, after this thing. So if he could choose between those two, that's nice to have the choice while you're under contract. And, and it's not, it's kind of like a pseudo free agency. I think both those options would be really strong. I would also look at New Orleans as a possibility. I think that might be an option mm. if they go out strong for him and they're willing to trade him within the conference. And I think they would be. Um, and then I think Tampa Bay is a possibility also. All those teams might be in the Jimmy G market, which makes all those Colts fans saying, all right, now we're going to get Jimmy G. Like, no, look. He might want to go there and you might want him, but like San Francisco is the ones who will decide where Jimmy G goes. So Pittsburgh and Indy are certainly in the conversation, but it's more than that, which makes the trades that are happening on it. It's a little tricky because San Francisco kind of holds the keys on the next domino for all these guys. And there's no way they keep him. No way they keep him. You know why there's no way they keep him? Because Tom Brady is going to be their quarterback next year. We've been on it since January. It feels like there's a little bit of a pissing match now with Bruce Arians, who I think maybe caught wind of it and he's thrown some stuff out like, well, it's going to be hard for him to get to San Francisco and he said, or whatever he said when he's under contract very with odd. us. Yeah. It was very odd last week. So 
I had on Jason Light, the GM of the Buccaneers on Good Morning Football, the morning before their media availability. And he mm. rolled out the red carpet and said, we are going to leave the light on, no pun intended. We are going to do whatever needed. Brady, we would love you. Please come back no matter. like." And I think that was the strategy PR-wise. Then Bruce gets on the mic and he's got a little loosey-goosey and he's like, not trading him. No way. He's <laughs> like, all right, well, that's going to only piss off Brady that you said that publicly. Yeah. And then when he was with the locals, BA comes out there and he's like, they're like, well, why is all this Brady coming out, coming back talk coming out? He's like, well, some guys like having his, their names heard in the media. And I'm like, if you're trying to like, wow. you know, like Tom Br and I'm not sure where Brady and Arians were by the end of this thing, but like in a, I bad, know from, in a bad place. I know from the Buccaneers side, sans Arians comments, their game plan right now is please, 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 Tom, come back. And option B being please, 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 Tom, come back. Like that's where they're at right now. So I, I think at the end of the day, if Tom Brady came to the Glazer family, who he just brought two playoff appearances in a Super Bowl and said, I'd really like to be traded. Can you do me that solid? I brought you guys all Super Bowl rings in the best 36 months uh, that this organization has ever had. I can't see the Glazer family being like, well, you're under contract, Tom, and we're just going to let you sit in purgatory instead. That said, I don't see Brady coming back to anybody. I think he takes this year. So what's he doing then? I'd like to add him to the pandemic has made you weird club because his, the, the things he's doing with Jim Gray, where he, I don't know if he's just trying to get people to talk about him, but it's very atypical of how Brady normally and going operated. on Fred Couples' podcast and letting it fly and like talking openly. Um, is Brady going to get bored? That's the question everyone was asking. Like, he's addicted to football. He doesn't want to go into politics. He doesn't want, like, the broadcast teams all are going after him. I don't know if he'll be good at it, but he also hasn't really engaged in that. So he won't be good at it. <laughs> what does Brady want to do? He wants um, to go to San Francisco. Just everyone just needs to admit it. Do the Brady Jimmy G trade. Somebody throws in a pick and we're good to go. And the league's more fun. My that's, money that's right my now ruling. is that my money right now is that he is not playing next year and then we'll reassess. But if, if they could find a way, it'd be really interesting. Uh, uh, I'll tell you this. Well, do you think there's a chance that he does the, I'm not playing, but I'm in great shape and like October rolls around and, oh, this guy's hurt or, oh, this team needs a QB? I don't think we're done. Whether the season starts with him on the field or not, I don't think we're done with spec. Unlike Andrew Luck, who we're saying four years removed out of Starbucks might be able, like, I think all next year, anytime a quarterback gets injured or a team is struggling and has a connection to Brady, we're going to hear about it. And let's say if Watson is somehow exonerated or that that is behind us um, by the end of this month for whatever reason, and he becomes available as a trade asset, is does anyone know what he's worth? It's got to be less than Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson went for two firsts, so it's got to be less than that. Is it one first? Well, there's two different pieces to it. The league still hasn't waited. They like yeah, the league. God the league forbid could say they suspended for a year based on what we yeah. know. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you could build that into a trade and a contract, say like, you know, we get these picks back. If it is, whatever, that's one thing. Second thing is, there's great emphasis on the rise of women in the NFL. And yeah. there's a great emphasis on, uh, we've got female owners now in Seattle, female owners in Buffalo, female owners. The wives of many owners are now very powerful. We've got coaches. We got 
you better have the appetite and the stomach to looking to your employees and saying, well, not only are we bringing this guy on, but like we're, we're pinning all of our careers to this player. So I'm interested which franchises have the appetite for it. And you could say, well, hey, if you have three years of crappy quarterback play, you know, it's football. I don't think that's the case in 2022. I think it really does yeah. matter. And I'm not going to be a cynic on it. I'm going to be actual. I think a lot of these teams are like, you know what? It's not worth it. We'd rather have a, a workplace environment where we feel we don't have to deal with that. It'll come down to desperation as always. So I have Brady as my number one. Here's my available QB rankings. I love this. Brady one. Jimmy G two. I think Watson's like a conditional three. Then drop off. I think Jameis is four. Four. Over. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll hear the rest. Mariota. Huntley. Huntley. So explain to me if I'm looking at, if I'm looking for a QB and I'm looking at Bridgewater, McCoy, Andy Dalton, Tyler Heineke, Trevor Simeon, Tyrod Taylor, Trubisky. Case Keenum, Trubisky. Why aren't I offering Baltimore a second round pick for Huntley? Who, because I don't think Baltimore would trade him. He is their ultimate leverage right now. They're in very you know, weird spot with Lamar where Lamar is now going into yet another offseason without a contract. And they don't look like they're in any rush to pay him. And they finally have a leverage point that we've got this guy behind you who won games and might have played better than you at the end of the, just the season when he was on the field. So I don't think they're in any, I don't even think he's on the block. Not that he's the most valuable player in the league, but I think in their particular situation and in their offense that he works very well in, I don't think this is the offseason you trade Huntley until your Lamar situation is figured out. More realistic to be traded over the next three weeks, Huntley or Lamar? <laughs> the answer's neither, but I think it's easier uh, to trade Lamar than it might be, not easier, but it might be more lucrative for them for what they do to trade Lamar than Huntley. I don't think Lamar's being traded, but you look to a Seattle, you look to a, you know, a, a Carolina, you say, give us four first round picks for Lamar. They might consider it. Four? Um, I think three, that's too many. I don't know, three or four. Like This is where we're at right now. Picks are being minimized, especially with the lack of quarterbacks in this draft where... If you're Do you Carolina, think he's worth? You think he's worth four first rounds? No, I wouldn't I pay think, that. I think if Lamar Jackson were to be traded right now, he would fetch three first round picks. I do. I don't think he. I don't think you get more than the Wilson trade. Because Wilson, you got to factor in. Wilson was like what he was making mid to high twenties. Yep. Lamar, guy, you, you trade for him, you immediately have to pay him $45, $46 million a year. No, I think forty would be about the number, but that's still incredible eat of the salary cap, but you're also getting a fresh, you know, rebrand for your team. And it's, you got Lamar Jackson, former MVP. I, I think there's a value to the Lamar brand too, that a lot of these teams that are just in purgatory and mediocrity for years would love. I'm worried about long-term, how healthy is he going to be? Fair. It's not like a, like Josh Allen's six, five. I'm and not worried about Josh Will and uh, Josh Allen staying. And Josh uh, Allen's healthy. getting better every year. Lamar was good two years ago, was great three years ago. And last year was hurt. You could make a case if you have the right desperate team for Lamar and you're Baltimore and you're looking at it and you're going, do you want, do I want to pay Lamar 44 million a year or, or Huntley a million a year? And I could have all that extra cap space. I'm getting extra draft capital. And by the way, if we we're going to do a fantasy draft of teams that would aggressively look at this in a different kind of way, the Ravens are in the top three, right? They're the most advanced metrics heavy organization we probably have. So 
if they crunch the numbers and they're like, all right, from a value standpoint, we should actually go this way versus once, once we pay Lamar, that's it. And, and the success rate of these organizations, and I think Arizona's in the same situation with Kyler Murray, where if you're paying your quarterback 40 to 45 million a year in a salary cap league, man, Dallas is another one with Dak. That's that it's becomes really hard to have a good team. Dallas and just waved Amari Cooper. And yet time and time and time again, these teams give the quarterback the money because the alternative is being in, in, in you know, you're in the Pine Barrens with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but how many guys are actually worth that money, right? Like Rodgers, definitely. Mahomes, Rogers, Mahomes Josh Allen. Allen, Herbert and Burrow eventually. Yep. Is there anybody I mean, else that hey, you could Kirk say Cousins, like this? Kirk Cousins is about to make 45 this year. And I don't think, you know, and they could say they're going to trade him or try to restore him. But like a lot of people around the league are like, hey, the Vikings at least have a quarterback. They know who they got, you know? Well, I still like my Kirk Cousins plan. He's just new team every year for Kirk. One year, 38 million. Goes to the new team. Like Pittsburgh, how excited would they be to have Kirk Cousins? They'd be thrilled. How about Indy? This is great. Indy, whoever. Uh, um, can I give you a, a not a conspiracy theory, but a, a rumor that was floated to me that hasn't been anywhere that I think I just want you to noodle with a little bit? I can't wait. McDaniels and Ziggler, who are New England born and bred, they come over, they take over the Raiders, they bring Champ Kelly from Denver with them. They've got this great vibe right now. Um, everyone's saying that, anyone in that organization, like everyone's into this. McDaniels, who did he love as a backup to Tom Brady for many, many years? Is that the place where they go and Ziggler, the GM, was with J Jimmy so G too? So little roulette where we do a little Jimmy G to Vegas. Then Carr goes on the market and then you get picks for Carr. And uh, this is where we're at with the NFL right now, where every team is texting every reporter and texting me and saying, here's something to consider. Don't have it on any sort, but here's something to consider. And then you put it out there and then people start noodling around on it. And it's kind of why... In the heart of NCAA tournament and baseball is having their negotiation, like football is king because all this stuff, it's not that far off from reality. Russell Wilson was just traded. Like it happens. So Josh tries to get Jimmy G. Is the price a second or is it higher? No, it's about a second, right? And Jimmy G second. would be would be thrilled to go to play with Josh and get back together plus, with him. Plus we'd get Jimmy G in Vegas, which Jimmy would be unbelievable. I mean, he's basically there anyway. So then Derek Carr for one year on a cheap deal. What is he making? Like 20, 21 for one no, year? No, I think then you he makes pay more than that. A little higher? Final year of his contract. I think yeah. he makes more than that. It's not, it's not more than 25. It's not crazy, it's cheap. though. Yeah, yeah, it's less than Wilson. So then you're a team, like you're Pittsburgh, and you get Carr, you're doing backflips because you're oh a pretty God. good team. You're Indianapolis. You get Derek Carr? Come on. You're, you're the Carolina Panthers. Suddenly you get Derek Carr. Like, Derek Carr is a top 15 quarterback in the league. So the best team the, the best team to take over would be Pittsburgh because after the last two years of Roethlisberger, the guy who comes in and can actually be competent for four quarters is going to seem like he's gonna you know, John Elway in the in the late nineties. Yeah. So I said Pittsburgh, Houston, Indy, New Orleans, Carolina, Tampa, Seattle are the teams we know need it need a QB. I have another category called looking around. Okay, is Miami looking around? Are they at the bar with like a Jack and Coke in front of them, kind of like seeing if anyone's going to sit down? I don't think so. So I, I got to sit down with their coach. You've sure seen the media. Um, he is everything you could imagine and more media-wise. This guy's going to be either a superstar or a punchline. I'm not sure. But Mike McDaniel brought it at the Combine. And the key is, I think he's 
I think he's fun and I think he's funny and I just don't want him to be the punchline of the joke because he's also brilliant and he's like got this this great mind and I like the fact they went outside the box and didn't just hire a football guy. He's he's way more than that, but he also drew up that offense in a lot of ways for Debo Samuel and the thing he kept on stressing to me when we were on air on Good Morning Football, but then we also hung afterwards is that like my challenge, my goal is to get the very most out of every quarterback I've ever had. And he had Robert Griffin in Washington. He had Matt Ryan in Atlanta. He had Jimmy G in San Francisco. And he's like, Tua has so much untapped potential. He had four different offensive coordinators (laughs) at his time in Miami. (laughs) laughing. He had had three different offensive lines. So he's selling me on on the Tua thing. And I'm like, if they were sniffing around, I don't think that yeah, the he wouldn't be trying this hard on selling right. on Tua. Yeah. So, so I Steve think Ross good. was like, we're two is our QB. Two is our guy. Tannehill in Tennessee. Hmm. Think so. Say you, think he's, eight, you think he's there next year? I'm 80% sure he's there, but you say sniffing around, I, I can't for certain say that if there was some major blockbuster done that they would 100% be out of it. Little harder for them to trade him because of the would they give him a contract a year ago? Yeah, two years Something ago. Like the year Brady yeah, got two one. years ago. Yeah. Vegas, we already covered. Danny Dimes and the Giants. Not sure there's a market. We know that they made a run at Wilson. Was that was that accurate? Three, I don't think so. I two first, Saquon and Daniel Jones. I didn't hear that. And I think they want to see what Daniel Jones has. I, I mean, yes, with Russell oh, yeah, Wilson. What, we got to see what Daniel Jones has. We don't know yet. We have no idea. Right? So it's only been three straight years. I mean, um, what, what could be lurking inside of Daniel Jones? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, I think the excuses are done. I mean, the second and the funniest thing was someone said like, Joe Burrow just made the Super Bowl after getting sacked a million times. Like, I don't want to hear that Daniel Jones has a bad offensive line and that's why he's being held back. Like, at some point, just go do it, you know? And this is the yeah. year. They'll know. Uh, Trubisky to to them, That's that's been thrown around there because Dable... It Trubisky, can't. No. I don't think it's no. Trubisky. Trubisky has to go to a small football city. He cannot go to another big market. He cannot be in New York, Chicago, Pittsburgh... Like I'd be he, surprised. The Giants are, sh- I mean, this is to, I actually met uh, Danny Heifetz for the first time. Great dude. And he was talking Giants with me. I think he's a Giants fan. And said, Giants are in like shave salary cap mode. Over the next few days, a lot of yeah. veterans are going to be released. Like, I don't see them making a big swing at quarterback. We need him to go, you know, like Carolina's perfect for Trubisky for a year. So. Just kind of slide under the UNC. radar. Yeah. Um, Minnesota. Hmm. We sure they're not at the bar ordering a second Mai Tai. All right, so Kirk is set to make 45, I think, this yeah. year. Um, I'm not going to say it's a prove-it year, but here's my info on Minnesota. When Kevin O'Connell was interviewing for that job, and that is a really coveted job because those owners spend money, they yeah. great resources, that fan base is amazing, and they have the best training facility in the entire you know NFL right now, this new one they built in Egan. When he was interviewing, um, I could tell you that Cousins was a big part of what he was talking about because they were together in Washington, and Cousins really made it obvious that he was the guy that he would prefer as the head coach and he ended up the head coach. So I would be surprised if they were to ship cousins in the final year of this contract. I also would be surprised if Kirk took a contract restructure. That's not what he's ever done. And Kirk Cousins yeah, why would like, he? you guys, you guys paid me this. I'm going to make it. That's it. So Justin Jefferson will be demanding a trade soon. Um, Detroit. I mean, they're definitely, they have four drinks in them, but gosh, it could be another golf year. He might, I, they might run it back. I think it might be. Wow. It might be another golf year. <laughs> I think it might be. This is great. I can't, 
I can't wait till he causes us a three a three team tease next next October. They won three of their last five games. They are so riding high. And oh my I, god, Dan, <laughs> what team could win three of their last five and be riding high? Other riding than the high and like it's all about culture and all about that stuff. And as of now, golf's the quarterback. Um, okay. Um, extension decisions. So Baltimore, we think that drags on. I think so. I think they're they're too disciplined to either panic well, they haven't done or it yet. overpay Lamar. We've they just never seen them do it. I don't see them doing it. They did it once with Flacco. It was the classic. They won a Super Bowl with them. They kind of had to, and they regretted it the whole time. Arizona, Kyler Murray. Look, when he came out with that Instagram screed, the agent, Eric Burkhardt, I think the, yeah. the feeling was a little bit of, all right, I'm doing this for my client and we're all, pay him now or else. And I could tell you the Cardinals side of it kind of was like, or else, like, I don't think they moved mountains to make it happen right then and there. And, and they extended wondered. the GM and the coach. So they, they clearly, they, did. they clearly cast they did. their vote. Um, and yeah, talked to Cliff a bunch about it. And he's like, me and Steve, the GM, like we're tied to Kyler. We both staked our careers to him. We want Kyler there. It's like, but you know, this, this situation's tricky because why does he need to be paid now when Lamar Jackson's won an MVP and is a year older, yeah. he hasn't been paid or Mahomes won Super Bowl MVP and still wasn't paid. Like, I don't think Kyler's getting it the day he wants it, but they obviously want to extend him and they want to make it happen. But um, I also don't That's know, like, that's another I, one. I don't think he's worth more than Russell Wilson in a trade. What's the market for Kyler Murray? I don't know. I said it on your show, I think, over million-dollar picks that he would get like three first-round picks, but I don't know. No. After the way that season ended, I'm not sure there's a long line for Kyler. No way. I think I think the Wilson thing, in a weird way, set the market a little bit. Here's another so you, Cardinals yeah. owner, Michael Bidwill, is like, it's like a family-owned business. This isn't Cronky or this isn't yeah. Stephen Ross where like, it's just sometimes where you play matters and like Cincinnati's not going to rush to the, to pay Joe Burrow the second. It's a family owned business. They don't do it that way. So I, I don't see the Cardinals rushing at the, you know, the timeline that Kyler Murray and his agent want. All right. This is fun. Before we go, how close were we to, to McVay just joining the ringer? <laughs> I don't know if we could have competed with uh, Amazon on the TV side, but I did feel like it was in play for like a split second. Was it like a, just a Matt Stafford guilt trip? Like he would have done TV, then he could have done pods for us. Everyone would have been happy. He would have definitely. No stress for coaching. It, it, flying coach was was literally the audition tape that helped get him the $100 million deals that you're offering. And and yet we didn't get referenced in one article, no. in one Andrew Marchand, New York Post. Yeah, where no were point. you, Andrew Marchand? John Come Arand? On, man. John Arand, sports business journal. I'm getting out of here. But like, truthfully, um, you know, the Rams have Stan Kroenke as their owner and he's got these billions of dollars and it's like, he'll get you any resource you want. And Amazon has trillions. So if money was the issue, like they were willing to pay Sean and he chose to coach. So that's where it ended up in the end. And I think uh, if Stafford is to call it quits, if Donald is to call it quits, maybe it's a different story, but he's running it back one more time. And unfortunately, I'm not sure the the future of flying coach because he's getting married this summer and he's going to be dealing with that the whole time and a honeymoon and whatever else. So, Bill, I, I, I think we were close. Really? 
Really? We just needed Cratered. to jump in. We needed to, we needed to offer him a little bit more, but it wasn't even the money. I don't know what we could have done. I never felt like he was leaving because he made such a commitment to Stafford. It's true. It's kind of shitty to just go, all right, I'll see you later. It's true. <laughs> Thanks for the Super Bowl. I'm going to go work for Amazon now. Thanks, though. Good luck. The canary in the coal mine on this one also was that while all this stuff was going on, he was really heavily recruiting this guy, Liam Cohen, who was the offensive coordinator at Kentucky, who has a good deal. And he was like, yo, O'Connell's leaving. Like, we need you. I can get you this much money. I get you. While all these rumors were going on and I was talking to Liam and he's like, Sean is being really like, you know, positive about me going like, is he actually, I'm like, Sean would not be courting you if he wasn't planning on being there. He wasn't courting you to uproot your life yeah. to come to LA. So uh, he's not going anywhere for now. But next off season, who knows? Maybe we could be talking about this again. Peter Schrager, come back next month for the draft. We'll chop it up again. Good to see you, as always. Thank you. Great to see you. Thank you, sir. All right, Matt Bellany is here from Puck. We launched a new podcast with him that officially launches on Monday. It's called The Town. It is about uh, Hollywood and the industry. He's been on here a couple times talking about that stuff that seemed like a natural progression. What was the feedback? Are people nervous that you have a podcast now? What, what were people saying? Generally, it was pretty nice. I got a lot of pitches. Hey, have me on. Um, a lot of questions <laughs> as to whether I know you. I'm like, yeah, I know him. Like, And uh, I, I'm more curious what you got as feedback because nobody's going to talk shit to me. They're going to say to you, uh, this guy's dangerous. W why have him? No, it was, it was positive. It was like, this okay. is good. This is a podcast that should exist, which is why we launched it. We want to... <laughs> That's always a good sign. Yeah, we want to talk about different topics. We're going to talk about a couple things today that are along the lines of things you'll probably talk about. One thing that we both had, because I made a little list, you made a little list. Mm -hmm. It does feel like we're moving into an era with the streamers, specifically Amazon and Apple, but maybe even Netflix a little bit too. HBO Max is doing well. I don't, I don't know if they're panicking yet, but there was so much money spent for, I don't know, four or five years there where people trying to prove that, you know, not only could they have credibility in the TV and movie market, but that they can compete for the biggest product. There's some dick swinging stuff with uh, trying to get projects, prices going crazy. I think the sense now is, is there's going to be some scaling back. What have you, what have you heard on this and who's doing the scaling back? I think that's right. I think there was that period where everyone was like, hey, we got to convince people that streaming is a thing that we can have stars that are just as big as movies and, you know, the big cable networks and everyone was kind of swinging their dicks around saying, oh, you know, we're in this game. But now you're hearing it from different companies. You know, this past week, we heard the CEO of Paramount, which has Paramount Plus, they were going to do a movie a week. And now they're like, oh, you know, that's going to be a movie every other week. And mm. they're pulling back a little bit on the spending because ultimately this is a stock market game. Netflix totally changed the game and they proved that if you could keep growing your subscribers month after month, that Wall Street would just keep your stock price going way, way up because they're like, oh, ultimately you're going to own this market. Everybody is going to subscribe to Netflix. Then you can just turn the profit machine on. And Netflix still, they have 222 million subscribers around the world. They're by far the leader in this category. But earlier this year, they announced a slowdown in their subscriber numbers and the stock just immediately hit an absolute wall. And people are like, wait a second, 
Maybe there aren't 500 million people in the world that want to subscribe to Netflix. Maybe that number is a lot smaller. And well, they bu- they bumped the price too. That was the other thing that scared people, right? Yeah, well, that scared consumers. Wall Street actually likes that. Mm. It shows that you are powerful enough to raise your prices. Like when Amazon raised prices of, of Amazon Prime, they're like, great, we love it. And that's showing that you have pricing power. But the consumers don't like it. And it's it's impacting subscriber numbers potentially. But Netflix has already started pulling back on some of the spending. I mean, I hear it all over Hollywood. Like they're just not doing those outrageous deals. They're not spending $30 million on a tiny movie that should cost $5 million to make. They're, you know, they're making exceptions. Obviously, you know, movies like Don't Look Up, which is a $100 million art house movie. Like that probably shouldn't exist in the form that it does. But Netflix yeah. was like, fuck it, we're doing it. We didn't have Leo DiCaprio on the service. He was the last holdout. Now we do. So, the, the, the you know, Netflix will spend when they need to, but they are, I've, I've heard from many people pulling back. I think Paramount's another one that's pulling back. Even HBO. I mean, you, you know, you reference them as doing great. They are doing great on subscribers, but the CEO that's coming in to run the company, they're merging with Discovery. He's been talking about not breaking the bank. He wants to, to spend judiciously. He said, we're going to compete, but we're not going to go completely crazy because he says, you know, if HBO has 10 shows that are great, how much value do we get if they have 15 shows that are great? Like, is there that much marginal value between doing something really good and just going nuts? And that's a big change because for the last five years, everybody's been going nuts. I mean, if they well, look at what Disney did, they were like, you know what? You want 10 Marvel shows? Fuck it. We're doing 10 Marvel shows. Like, I don't know that that's going to happen at that level going forward. HBO is interesting because they've had two of the biggest hits they've created this century just happened back to back, right? I, the euphoria stuff was nuts. It I really is. I never, mean, I, I never expected that show to balloon like it did. It's the, they said last week, it's their second biggest show other than Game of Thrones since 2004, which is peak Sopranos time. So you have that, and then you have Succession, which captured the zeitgeist in a way that they haven't had a drama do in five years. Yeah, I mean, Succession is the awards kind of, you know, HBO darling show. It doesn't have huge ratings, but the euphoria numbers are insane. I mean, 14 million people watching this. I'm, I always wonder with a show like this, it's so racy and boundary pushing. Like how much of that is just like, you know, it's basically the, the Skinamax for the Gen Z generation and how much of it is people who are really connecting with the characters and tuning in because they relate to it. I, I don't no, know the answer to that. It's high school and college. I had my daughter on last week talking about it. It's like, it's literally everybody under 22 is this became their show. I think, but is it, is it because it is so racy or is it because they feel that it's real? No, it's because they feel it's real. And wow. I think the for the adults and the parents who get scared by some of the content on that show, it's not really about that as much as the relationships and the gender stuff and right. um, casual drug use, things like that. I right. think they just feel like there's no other show talking about this stuff in the way that this show does. And I think the shocking thing to me was um, the numbers for HBO Max for that show. Where yeah, it's all streaming, which is it's which 80, is young people. Well, did you say it's 80%? Yeah, that's not surprising. To, I was surprised to me. I didn't. I thought it would take ten years for HBO Max to have eighty percent of a hit HBO show. But yeah, but you have everybody under twenty five just going there. They exactly. don't even know when it's on. They don't even know what HBO linear channel is. I mean, they just don't. They don't. 
you know, if their parents don't have cable, they certainly don't. So they're watching it on their iPad or they're watching it on, you know, the their HBO Max subscription. That That's not that surprising to me for that show. When you get into some of the other shows, like whether it's White Lotus, you know, they had a huge streaming audience. Like yep. some of the shows that skew a little bit older, that's a bit more surprising. But you know what? This is where everything's going. And it's going to be that audience that likes the high level premium stuff that makes the transition first. You know, that's not shocking that people are still watching Yellowstone on Paramount Network. Like, that's a show for older Midwestern audiences that are still glued to that cable bundle. Um, Now, obviously, people like you and me will also watch it on streaming, but it's going to be those younger, kind of hotter, hipper shows that get people onto streaming faster. Do you think Apple is one of the ones that scales back? Because I I don't think so, actually. I mean, if you look at what they're paying talent, I mean, they're giving $40 million checks to Brad Pitt, George Clooney. They are outbidding everyone. They got this Formula One movie that's coming uh, with Brad Pitt in it. That's a $200 million movie package. They outbid Netflix, MGM, all these other companies for that movie. And that's just a flex. That's a we've got more money than God. Doesn't matter to us. We want Tim Cook to be able to go on the Apple earnings call and congratulate Ted Lasso, which he did first thing on the Apple earnings call, that's a priceless thing for them. So if they have to overpay, uh, they will do it and they want to be HBO 2.0. And so far, you know, they've had hits and they've had some good stuff. They've had a a lot of stuff that they spent a lot of money on that did not work. Um, But if it's got a big movie star, they're interested. They are not HBO (laughs) 2.0. Not yet. No, but that's the goal. That's the goal. They don't want to be everything. misses. They have. They don't want to be everything to everyone. Did you watch? They had like, it's crazy. Some of the stuff that just drops on Apple and nobody talks about it and it goes away. They had a Julianne Moore adaptation of a Stephen King book with Clive Owen, like amazing stars, great Stephen King adaptation material. It just came and went. Nobody cared. Yeah, I didn't even know about that until you just told me about it. I was thinking more like... um you know, like the morning show, which we, we made fun of on the prestige TV podcast, but they would just, they're just spending money in the craziest ways on that show where they would have these 150 person cocktail parties for no reason. Right. Or and like, Will like Arnett, are they still going to do that? Or Will Arnett shows up as like a random, you know, character. <laughs> right. Like that's not a cheap cameo. Like <laughs> yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't just show up. Like yeah, the morning show is this, you know, albatross, I think like they, it, but they're probably such, happy with it because it's Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon and they get to put them on the app. You know, it took them a while to renew it for season three, which mm. suggests there was a debate internally or they had trouble getting the deals done. They're now on a new showrunner for season three. Like oh. they, they know there are problems with that show. But again, you're like what you said. It's Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston. It is uh, it still gets awards attention like people make fun of it. But. They keep nominating it for like the SAG Awards. Like, I, I don't I don't particularly get it. I think that season two went completely off the rails and like was was aggressively bad. But uh, but they still like it and they still think it's, you know, it's it's big stars and get some attention. They should put you on the poster. Aggressively bad. <laughs> Bellany, aggressively bad. <laughs> Fuck. Um, well, you know, uh, what they maybe know- they might think that's good. I don't know. Like people do hate watching. I hear a lot of people that hate they, watch you're talking to show. somebody right now who does. Right. Um, one thing they did that was a huge success for them was Coda. 
yeah, where they outbid everybody. That was my favorite movie that I've seen this year. I actually yep. think it has a real chance to win the Oscar. And Fantasy and I have been arguing about it. Fantasy says, no way, they're not going to give Apple an Oscar. They're not giving Apple oh, Best oh, Picture. Oh, I don't think it's Apple that's the problem. I think when you compare Apple to Netflix, Netflix has a real problem. People don't like Netflix. They feel that they've come in and you know changed the model. And Apple is just kind of, dabbling and they're they're floating a lot of these companies but the dabbling is that was fantasy's case though it's like now apple hasn't earned it yet maybe not maybe not but the bigger problem for coda and the oscar race is that it's only got three nominations yeah. and if it wins that would completely upend all the conventional wisdom about how you win best picture but we have you way ha more voters now though so you, it's like, it's like is there a conventional wisdom anymore when I, we have I agree with you, know. you, but I but fantasy's not wrong in the sense that it would be a big shock if it wins because you typically have to amass support from all the different branches. And if they didn't bother to nominate the director or some of the actors beyond, you know, the main guy, that could be a problem for it. What I think it has going for it is the way that the Oscar Best Picture is voted on, which is a preferential ballot which is yep. designed, you rank your choices and it's designed to create a consensus. And this year, there, there are, there's no consensus movie that everybody is rallying around. People love certain movies and just as many people that love Power of the Dog hate it. Like, I, I was not a fan of that movie, just did not connect Me at neither. all. I yeah. would never vote that movie. Like, there's going to be people that vote that movie number one. There's going to be a lot of people that vote that movie number 10. But Coda, mm. I think, will be a number of people's number one, it'll be a lot of people's number two. That, that was, could ultimately end, end up with winning. I think it's outrageous that the lead actress didn't get nominated. I thought she was, there couldn't have been five better performances when considering she had to sing and right. do sign language and she was in every scene and she was great. And if she yeah. wasn't great, that movie's not good. Yeah, I think, you know, the way that the Oscar season works too is there's this emotional, you know, narrative that forms and i think that seeing the the actor troy, what's his name troy kotzer or something like like that seeing the the deaf actor up on stage at the sag awards and everybody raising their hands and and you know kind of that that movie has the emotional narrative that usually ends up with um with a best picture win i thought she should have been nominated i'm gonna i'm getting her name oh amelia jones yes she, she was but, really good the uh, the consolation for her is that she's on all the lists right now. She's yeah, no, a, she's she'll a, have a she's next hot one. Totally. Well, fantasy. We were talking about categories. We were saying if they wanted to make it more fun, mm -hmm. you have like a breakthrough performance Oscar or you know totally. whatever. She would have won that one if they had it. I don't know why they don't have it. They have it for like the NBA has fun awards. Like it, the Oscars are so fucking don't, precious. Don't get me started. Yeah, Although I, I, I will say I'm one of the only people in this Oscar land that thinks that booting eight categories off the show is a good idea. I, to me, that could have done 20. <laughs> but <laughs> I now you see, and, yeah, you see, now you see everyone coming out. It's like James Cameron and Kathy Kennedy. They're all saying, Oh, you know, you got to respect the crowd. I get it. They're supposed to say that they have to stand up for their people, but the Oscars is a television show. If you want to be precious about it and award all 23 categories, great. Do it, you know, on some network that isn't for a general audience. Do it on a streaming channel. We the do Oscars, it with the Emmys. The Emmys is split over two days. It's of fine. Of course. And the Tonys have started giving awards off stage. The Grammys is basically a big concert now with a few awards sprinkled in. So yeah. it makes perfect sense. And they're not getting rid of these people. They're going to reward them before the show. 
sprinkle their acceptance speeches, pull out the most emotional moments and make it interesting to watch. So you don't have to watch, you know, the director of a short film that you've never heard about or even know anything about, you know, take two minutes to walk to the stage to thank his mother and his aunt. I think people are going to watch the Oscars this year because of Will Smith. And because huh. everyone's like, ah, oh, it's going to bomb. But I, I think everyone, everyone deep down cares if Will Smith wins the Oscar or not. And that's going to be what drives this. And they should make that category the latest they possibly can before. Right. Uh, Although not that right for a best movie. Well, last year, remember, they replaced. Oh, that they, was stupid. That was yeah. so, And then Chadwick Boseman didn't win. Right. So it was a total bust. But, you know, guess who the most famous person at the Oscars is going to be this year? Not Will Smith? No. Who is it? Not Serena Williams. Serena Williams is arguably more famous than Will Smith. And she's going. Venus is going. Not and... to the New York Times. They thought it was her sister. <laughs> the, the picture caption. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> that but, was great. but, you know, but Serena will be there. It will be an amazing moment if he wins for playing their father. I don't know if the father's going to go. He hasn't done any press. They've kind of kept him out of the he limelight. He has been kept out right. like in general and i don't know whether that's because his health isn't great or because mm. his the reality of him doesn't match the narrative that's presented in the movie or they just don't want him out there i don't know what it is but you know serena is definitely going to be there and i think that'll be a great moment if will smith wins i don't think the film will win best picture but if you know she's an ex she's an executive producer on the movie and they didn't have to be they had a choice they when they agreed to let them do the movie they said, OK, you guys can watch the movie at the end and decide whether you want to put your names on this. And then they decided to do it. So I think with the expanded voting committee, what do they call it? Vo voting whatever members? Vo yeah, voting, voting members. members. Yeah. When you go from like 600 to I think they're almost at a thousand. No, no. Um, for the Oscars. Where, they're at 10,000. They, where it used to be 6,000 to 10,000. Yeah. 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 Um, when you up it to that degree with the way you do the actual votes, I think I'll, I I don't think there's any way to compare the past to now. It's just too big of a variance. Like if if they change the MVP for the NBA from a hundred to six hundred, I still feel like we'd end up with relatively the same because there's so much groupthink with sports awards. Yeah, I think there's way less groupthink with with movies. No, Where I'll give you. I'll give you. Like, oh, I don't. I don't like Power of the Dog. I have that tenth, and that that you know you don't. That doesn't happen with the NBA. NBA is going to be Jokic or Embiid, and those are going to be the our two MVP candidates ultimately. I'll give you another sports analogy that I think is more apt here because it's not just that. It's not just that they increase the number of people. It's that they dramatically change who the people right. are who vote. It's much more not old white guys. Exactly. It's not it's much because, you know, you on rewatchables, you guys always go over like, how did this movie get in there? And it's always like the movie that appeals to 80 year old white guys that that you're like, what? We don't remember this movie like that kind of thing. And they dramatically changed who is voting. They brought in more international people. They brought in younger, more diverse people. And the analogy to sports is what if the Hall of Fame was not voted on by the writers? Mm. The writers determine the Hall of Fame. And who are the baseball writers? They're old white guys, right? What if what if you decided to bring in a whole bunch more younger and diverse people into the baseball writers players, association? coaches, managers? -players, exactly. Yeah. You would have had Bonds in the Hall of Fame, guaranteed. Yep. You would have had all those steroid era guys in the Hall of Fame. But 
the Baseball Writers Association hasn't done that, and the Oscars has. So it's going to necessarily change how these people are 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 considered. I think it's good for Coda, and I think it could be good for King Richard too. We're we're it just might be like, ah, I like that movie the most. Fuck it. And you vote for it. And there you go. Yeah, the King Richard, I think it's a good movie. I I, I had a couple issues with that one. I, it I felt don't a think little, it should be best Oscar either. Yeah. I'm yeah, it felt a little cliched at times. And you know, that but I I I liked it a lot. And the girls who the, the, the girls they found to play the daughters were amazing. And the the fact that they found girls who could credibly pay, play tennis and were good actresses, it's pretty amazing. Let's move to uh Jeff Zucker who no longer runs CNN. Um, are we sure Jeff Zucker was good? Because it was a lot of tributes from a lot of people who Jeff Zucker gave giant contracts to, talking about how great he was. But like from an actual results standpoint, did he leave CNN in a better place? Because it doesn't seem like he did. Yeah, that's an interesting question, considering you know the, the kind of almost like tantrums that all the talent threw when he got fired for, um, for not disclosing his relationship with his chief marketing officer um you know jeff zucker did a thing at C at cnn the thing that he was hired to do which was to make it relevant and he did it initially by you know going all in on certain stories at cnn if you remember back before trump it was the poop cruise remember that or the missing yeah. plane every night you tune in for an malaysia on, on yeah. the missing malaysia Malaysian Airlines. Plane. yeah and they were narratives and you know people like that stuff and the ratings did increase then he basically applied the same strategy to Donald Trump, just went all in on Donald Trump and was airing his rallies during the election. And, and CNN's support of Donald Trump during that campaign, I do believe, made a real difference in people taking him seriously as a candidate, listening to his message, allowing him to rally his fans via CNN. Um, then when Trump was in office, they did this pivot where they went kind of into resistance TV mode where they had yeah. anti-Trump hosts and they were for truth and Donald Trump was for lies. And they really took an anti-Trump stance. And it was great for ratings at the time. I mean, CNN was throwing off a billion dollar in profit uh, during the Trump years because people tuned in to see the latest outrage of the day from Donald Trump. And they really defined themselves as being kind of anti-Fox. The problem with that is that CNN after Trump has sort of been in a no man's land. They are now a politicized brand that half the country doesn't want anything to do with. And the other half of the country isn't, you know, afraid of the latest outrage of the day that Donald Trump did. So they're not tuning into CNN for that. And the ratings have just gone in the toilet. And I think there's a new regime coming in at CNN at, uh, at the owner level. And they really want to depoliticize the CNN brand. And I don't know if that's possible. So to get back to your question, Jeff Zucker left them that problem to deal with. And I don't know long term whether the damage to the CNN brand in the U.S. is fixable. Um, overseas and other countries, CNN still means the news. And that's a great brand to have. But in the U.S., CNN means something to a lot of people. And it's something they don't like. Great time to launch a streaming service, <laughs> CNN Plus. You don't well, even know what your you man CNN is. Yeah, I mean that, and they're charging five bucks a month for that. I, I'm not sure who's going to subscribe to that because they can't they can't put the regular news product on CNN Plus because they have to put that on CNN. That's the deal with all the cable companies is that it has to be unique at least for now. So what they're doing is they're just flooding CNN Plus with all these like random shows like. Anderson Cooper, you know, is going to 
talk about stuff that's not in the news. Or if you love Don Lemon, you'll get more of that. Or Brian Stelter will do a daily media show, not a weekly one. Like there, you know, th- there is a, there's probably a, a small market for that. And if you put some of the, you know, the do- documentary stuff on there, like the Stanley Tucci shows, you don't think anyone's going to watch that stuff? I just, to me, it's like with the streaming services, talk shows, where you have to go out of your way to a streaming service to watch people talking. Mm-hmm. When has that succeeded? Other than the Friends reunion, probably not much. Yeah, Friends reunion, which was a one-off. <laughs> but just, right. I'm talking about like daily programming. Where is, yeah. who's had the success in that? Because it seems like a lot, in a lot of cases, especially with cable, one of the reasons the shows work is because people are flipping channels and they land on that channel for an hour or for a half hour. And it feels or long it is. It feels like you want if you want to know what's going on right now, this moment, you flip on CNN. And that doesn't really work in the streaming environment. Listen, it's I the think, same thing going on with award shows. Award yep. shows are trying to figure out what they're going to be in the streaming world. And nobody really knows. They just did this country music show on Amazon the other night. And I checked it out just to see what it was. Uh, the ACM Awards, and it was basically a concert. They just did yeah. a concert, and they had a couple awards. They had Dolly Parton that they wheeled out there and you know talked for a little bit. But it was basically a concert, and the, that's what they think an award show will be on streaming. I don't know that they know what news is on streaming yet. I think weekly, maybe like Bill Maher's had a lot of success, and I think something of a renaissance the last couple of years. And John Oliver, you said HBO, John Oliver's another one, but. Mm-hmm. When you're just talking about the daily grind, like if first take, let's say they took first take off ESPN and moved it to ESPN plus. Right. There's no way it has the same audience. My question is, does it have anything close to the same audience? If it was just streaming on there, like it was like a college basketball game. We just, we haven't seen the evidence yet that that works. I don't know, but, but think about in the audio space. Like you would think that the same rationale would apply from radio to podcast because podcasts are on demand. But everybody listens to news podcasts and they feel like they're urgent and relevant enough to tune into. But could podcasts be taking the streaming, like whatever that streaming corner could have been because it's just easier to listen to podcasts. You're a streamer. I even find this with the NBA. Like I go to the NBA app um, to watch games sometimes if if I'm not in the place where I have the satellite. And it's a pain in the ass. I got to go to the app. I got to click four times and then it's just so much easier when the games are just on cable and I can dance around, which is yeah. like when we get to Amazon and Sunday Ticket or Apple, whoever gets Sunday Ticket, I think it's going to not be as fun of an experience as it is to be on DirecTV. And by the way, I hate DirecTV, <laughs> but it's easier to bounce around, you know? Yeah, I I think ultimately these services like CNN Plus will ultimately be part of HBO Max. And it'll yep. just be a tile. If you're on HBO Max, you can just click there and top be like, right. Okay, now and they'll have more and more news. They'll transition it over. So like that'll be the thing that you you go to when you turn on your TV, and you'll have you know you'll be able to pick news or HBO shows or Turner or whatever. Sports will be there too. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Amazon does football because if anything's going to work, it's going to be football. But they have to figure out what that experience is like for streaming or whether it's just the same. I mean, you can watch. NFL games on Paramount Plus this past year, and it was basically the same. Well, and Amazon had Thursday Night Football, which I don't even think people fully realize. Plus, we have to trust them to tell us what the ratings were. Right. And for now, yeah. Who knows? They could say anything. Like, they until can, we they have literally like do. a real Amazon could be like, hey, we had 50 million people for that Cowboys game. Is that true? I don't know. Uh, last thing before we go the Disney yeah. Florida flip flop. 
Which yeah, is, that's an interesting one. Yeah, hop into that one. So basically, you know, Florida has Florida has this um, this don't say gay legislation that they're trying to pass, which is you know a lot of people in the LGBTQ community are upset about. Um, it is it is widely been panned as an anti civil rights. Disney, which has been very active under the Bob Iger CEO years in political issues, you know, taking stands on stuff, saying that they would pull out of Georgia if their, you know, anti-abortion law passed. Um, they they have a new CEO and his strategy, at least at first, was, you know what, we're Disney, we're an umbrella brand for everybody. We're not going to take a position on mm. political issues and we're just going to stand back and let them do what they do we will impact change in our own personal ways you know yada 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 he issued a statement to the company on monday and it basically the shit hit the fan people started putting out statements he got so much pressure he backtracked and now says that disney will oppose the don't say gay legislation didn't stop people at pixar from coming out and saying you know what you're saying that our content is what's going to make the change in the world. Disney censors our same-sex affection every time we put it in our movies. You're not even letting us do that. And we thought you would have our back on something that is you know, objectively anti-gay and lesbian. You didn't do that. People at Pixar are really pissed. How does it play out? Is it I, just like everything else that dies down after two days? I mean, the real change your mind? Maybe the real winner here is Bob Iger, the previous CEO who well, that, tweeted. That's always the case. <laughs> who he tweeted some support for. Um, he tweeted against that legislation, and everyone was cheering him. I do think that's what caused a lot of people at Disney to be like, you know what? The previous guy was for this. Are you going to tell us that you don't care? You don't have our backs anymore. Um, the the new CEO of Disney, Bob Chapek, has real problems. People think he's not talent friendly. He got sued by Scarlett Johansson over Black Widow. He you know, is has has kind of made some moves that have taken away creative control from the executives at, at Disney. He's put movies like the Pixar movies, which they always loved having in theaters. The new Pixar movie is just on Disney Plus. It's not even going to theaters, um, turning red. And, you know, people in the creative community don't like that. And then you throw on top of that, you know, refusing to stand up against a, a bill that is pretty openly anti-LGBTQ in a state, Florida, where Disney has about 80,000 employees. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just seems like this guy is just having mounting problems and he's got a year to prove himself that he's the right guy for Disney or they will replace him as CEO. Well, you left out the other piece, which he's replacing one of the great CEOs of all time. Very true. And, and someone that you're was, the next guy. You're basically the next Pats coach after Belichick. How's that going to go? <laughs> you better be really fucking good. I know, yeah. I know that the analogy is whoever replaces Rachel Maddow at MSNBC is going to be that person. Like just the firing squad is going to be there ready for whoever that is. Yeah, you almost have to hire somebody who's going to stink as the next person and then go for the person. Well, I, you know, at. listen, Iger is a legendary CEO. The one thing he did not do was succession. He did not do that very well. He had a couple guys that were lined up. And he never allowed that to happen. He would. Yeah, but, put but think of the irony of that, though, because mm -hmm. that was how he got the job. But from Eisner, who was equally as terrible as that and made that a complete shit show for years and years and years. True. And, and then and, Iger did the same thing. I, but Iger, Iger, when he started at Disney, he made some moves that ultimately turned out to be incredibly smart in buying Pixar yep. in buying Marvel in buying Fox and, and Fox is still open question, but like he had supercharging ESPN. He had, they, they, exactly. they, 
Yeah, he had a nice run. And he was a creative guy. Iger started as a weatherman. He was a programmer at ABC. The guy who's currently running Disney is like the definition of a corporate suit. He was, you know, in the home video department. Then he ran parks and consumer products. And like, he's just, you know, even the look of him, he's just, he looks like he should be running, you know, uh, Ford or McDonald's, not Disney, which has such an emotional connection with its fans. And you have to do and say the right things at all times when you're the CEO of Disney because the fans of the brand expect it. They have a connection to it. So we'll see. He's had some stumbles uh, at the at the outset. But we'll see how that goes. Well, these are the kind of things we'll be covering on The Town, which is launching on Monday. And what are you doing? Two to three times a week? Two to three, depending on news. We will not be talking only about movies set in Boston. I had some people tweeting at me. Um, yeah, you know, it's I, funny. I had a couple of people mention that too. And I was like, you realize that's what they call Hollywood. It's called the town. And people, I think, get that. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I got some really fun tweets. Someone already superimposed my face on the town I loved it. poster. Yeah. Congrats um, on that. Yeah, that, that was a nice moment for me. I feel like I've been memed. You probably get memed all the time. But <laughs> I, I got really, I got memed. Well, I'm excited for the pod. I'm excited to be invited on once in a blue moon. Um, look forward to working with you uh, in a little more detail. We can't wait to have it. Excellent. Thanks, man. So the town, you can follow on Spotify, follow it wherever you get your podcasts. It launches Monday. You're going to like it. Check it out. Good to see you. Thank you. All right. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Waz. Thanks to Matt. Thanks to Shriggs. Thanks to nephew Kyle. Kyle Creighton for producing as always. Thanks to Dylan Cerruti and <laughs> Dylan Cerruti. Steve Cerruti and Dylan Berkey. Wow. That's what happens after two plus hours. You start mixing up names. And uh, don't forget Prestige TV podcast on Sunday. House and I breaking down winning time. Episode two. Enjoy the weekend. I will see you Sunday night with Rosello. Looking forward to it.